I'm still here in the same space. It's like we not moving. Oh, wait there. What happened? You're back. I can hear you chewing. What are you eating? I, uh, oh, no, bubble it's gum. really good. A bubble gum? Mm hmm. <laughs> I, I'm an adult. Dude, you're not in the studio and then all of a sudden chewing bubble gum while you do podcasts is okay. I just popped it in in the break. I just wanted it and then I'm going to spit it out. Hey, this is Tina. And this is Mia. And you're listening to Yeah, No. The podcast about having a business at the intersection of design and healthcare. Hi, Tina. Hi. Where are you? I'm calling from Garrison, New York. It's a lovely little town. So far away. Outside of the city. I know. I live far away. We thought we would try recording from different spaces, even though you're very sad because you like to cuddle when we record all the time. I do. I like when we touch toes. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners a interesting fact about Garrison, New York? Oh, an interesting fact about Garrison, New York is that we have a lot of dirt roads on purpose. So all of the original dirt roads, well, most of the original dirt roads are still here because... Dirt roads on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, because because Garrison people believe that, um, you know, dirt roads, well, it's true, dirt roads make you drive slower. And so they like that community kind of field. They're like the original road, dirt roads. Yeah. And it's hilarious, you know, because Garrison's not even a town. It's called a hamlet because it's very small. We have less oh, than, hamlet. I think we have less than 3,000 people in Garrison. So, Oh my God, there's uh, so many connections right now. I'm dying because today's episode is about bringing the human to human-centered design or human-centered research. We're simulating being in the studio together right now, even though you're in a different place. So this episode is all about how do we simulate experiences when we're doing research to have better outcomes and really understand how people will use a -hmm. product or service. Part of the simulation is you have to set this up a little bit like a performance or theater, and you live in a hamlet which is like Hamlet from Shakespeare, which is theater. Wow. That is some obtuse connecting dots. <laughs> How's that for a transition? I just about, I just I got a, a, a feel of what it's like to be your son when you're trying to teach me something and I'm just waiting for you to get there. <laughs> That was amazing. Yeah. See what goes on in my brain when you're not, when I'm left to my own devices? Yeah. There's drinking in the studio again, apparently. (laughs) So today we do want to talk about the human and human-centered design, human-centered research, because one of the things that we always make sure that we include in our research is direct contact with the end user or if the end user is not available, some stand-in for the end user. And we've done that in a lot of really inventive ways. And I think for us, uh, we never really say anything's off limits. And for us, it's all about just trying to simulate or mimic the end experience 
as close as possible so that we can really get how people would react in, in that type of a situation. Right. But I think that what's important about human-centered design research, especially in healthcare, is that we're oftentimes experimenting with things that don't exist in the world yet, that are new ideas or new innovations. And so how do you do research on something that doesn't exist? Or how do you understand what something could be, how it could be designed if there's no precedence for it? And so a lot of times, I think with some design research methods, there's this idea of taking a white model, which is a blank model, and having someone, you know, tell us how would you design this device, or if you could have a screen, what would the screen tell you? But this is a little different. Right. A lot of times we have to do a little bit of a, a step back with the client and say, we want to remind you that the prototypes or the ideas or the things that we're sharing or the simu- the things that we're simulating, they are not meant to be rough drafts of what the final end product or service experience will be. They are simply meant to instigate a conversation and get feedback and to like help the patient or the user, whoever that person is at that moment, be able to put themselves in this situation. Because a lot of times when prototyping or design research is done, it is some kind of version of what the end thing will be. And for us, we're that's not really how we use stimuli in research. Yeah. So some of the things we're going to talk about are methods of doing this type of research, which we call experiential prototyping or interactive interviewing because of this uh, setup of creating a scenario and allowing people to experience something hands-on. And I think some pros and cons of being in person with someone or you know, getting to know them within a research setting Um, We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the value of doing this type of research and why it's important. Yeah. So let's start with our story of health. I have a great example of a person who didn't want to do a role play. This was when we had run a workshop for doctors. And the doctor had come up with a great idea, and it was a prototype that he was proposing in in this workshop. And his goal was that he wanted to get patients to remember the medications that he had prescribed, because oftentimes he would prescribe the medication in the appointment, and then the patient would go home and forget. So the time between the appointment and the time that they got home, they would forget their medications. And it's a big problem. It's a problem for a lot of different doctors. And so his idea was that in the appointment, while the patient was sitting in front of him, he would call the patient's phone and leave a voicemail on the phone with the medication. Patients that on the patient's he had phone. prescribed, right, on the patient's phone. This way, what he wanted was that, you know, the patient would hear in the appointment and then also have it recorded when they got home so that time between the appointment and when they got home kind of you know, came closer together. So I said, that's a great idea. Let's role, role play. play it. <laughs> yeah. And so he was very uncomfortable. He was a doctor. You know, doctors don't like to look dumb in front of people. And I think inevitably when you're acting, you kind of feel a little dumb. 
if you're not an actor or actress. So he said, okay. I said, okay, I'll be the patient and I'm in the, in your office. And you've, you know, we've just talked about what I need. And he said, okay. And so he took it from there. And so he said, so Tina, you know, this is what I'm going to prescribe you X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, in order for you not to forget, I'm going to actually call your phone and leave a voicemail. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Thank you, doctor. And so he calls my phone, pretends to dial it, you know, waits for it to ring a little bit. And then he role plays it and he says, Tina, um, this is Dr. So-and-so. I um, am prescribing X, Y, and Z, and you should take it, you know, this many times a day. And this whole time he's sitting right in front of me and staring at me. <laughs> and, so, and, and then halfway through he goes, yeah, this isn't going to work. This is really awkward. <laughs> yeah. Because and so, and, you know, you just would never know unless you, it's like in your mind, that sounded like a really good idea, right? Yeah. But then he yeah. realized, oh, this is really awkward. And so he goes, I'm going to have to do this right after the appointment because otherwise it's gonna, just going to be really awkward. And so I just, I loved that because in your mind, that sounds like a really great idea. Everything works, you know, oh, the patient will remember, they're going to be listening, it's going to be all these great things. And then you realize, oh, I can't do this with every single patient. It's going to be completely awkward while they sit there and listen to me leave a voicemail message for them. Right. And so I love that because it's the only way to figure it out is to do role play. Right. How do you understand what something could be, like what the potential of something is and how someone might use it and how should we design it? And how does it live out in the world if if it doesn't exist, right? Yeah, so that's right. I think Which that, is most of the things that we're working on, right? Yeah, it's, that's a, right. it's a never-before-seen idea or thought. spend a little time talking about the different methods that we use in human-centered design to make it more human. I don't think they're too far off from what other people use, but I do think that we're a little bit more, I guess, um, freewheeling in <laughs> what types of, I should say, we're not freewheeling. Experimental. We're experimental. Yeah. Yes. Jinx. <laughs> we are on the same wavelength. We don't even need Wait. to be in the same room. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're experimental because I think that in healthcare, you're always faced with a lot of different types of experiences. Each patient is going to be a little bit different. The interactions that you have with doctors and nurses and all those types of things, what hospital you go to, where you're going, those all are going to be a little bit different. And so for us, we always try to be a little bit more experimental in our methods. Right. One of the methods that we've cultivated in the last I don't know, decade that we've been in healthcare is what we call interactive interviews. Interactive interviews, which I love. Yeah. Not only for the alliteration. Well, uh, <laughs> I love alliteration. Wait, I think it's assonance if it's a vowel, right? Who are you calling an assonance? <laughs> yeah, interactive interviews. They're good. We call them interactive because they're I guess traditional kind of interviewings from social sciences tends to be a little bit more stagnant and um, one directional, you know, one person's asking the questions, the other person's answering, but we, we like to use 
co-design, co-designing techniques where, you know, if we don't know what the end product is, we need to have somebody that's going to interact with us, that's going to be the patient in a doctor's office. And so we always have kind of stimuli that we use that's going to simulate the situation. We also, sometimes we even have, you know, different staging areas and we actually physically move the interviewee to a different place to say, okay, so you're at home, this is what's happening. And then we'll go to another table and then we'll say, okay, this is the doctor's office. And it's kind of amazing to see um, people they just slip right in and out of that. And they, they can easily be like, oh, yeah, this is the doctor's office, even though we've kind of just set up like a rudimentary chair and table, you know. Right. And so it's a little bit of, you know, putting on an acting hat and and trying to, you know, suspend disbelief a little bit, but setting up the stage, setting the stage so that somebody could experience something as, as close to um, how it might be. And what I think what it's been really good for is interactions that happen over time. So like you're saying, that may move from one place to another or where the interaction's not just one and done. Yeah. We are both born of a graduate program from the Art Center College of Design in media design. And at the time, we had a really influential department chair named Brenda Laurel, Yay, who Brenda. Brenda has done a lot of work in theater and design. And she really pushed us and helped us to cultivate this type of research, I think, because of her theater background and how much she emphasized, you know, the importance of really simulating and being able to suspend disbelief in order to, you know, get your ideas to evolve and, and build on them. Yeah, I, for, I had forgotten until we started talking about the podcast about her book, which was called Computers as Theater. And Don Norman, who's kind of the founding father of interaction design, he wrote the introduction. He actually rewrote the introduction to the book, but I thought that this quote was really important. He says, Theater is dynamic, changing, and always in motion. Theater is about interaction. It's about themes and conflicts and goals and approaches to these goals. Frustration, success, tension, and the resolution of those tensions. And he said, real interaction does not take place in the moment on a fixed static screen. Real interaction is ongoing over a protracted period. It ebbs and flows, transitions from one state to another, and the transitions are as important as the states. It's so poetic. It is poetic. It yeah. is. But that's, you know, that is interaction design, you know, and they're talking about computer interactions. But I think as we think about services or we think about human to human interactions, it's the same thing. It's like you can't script them 100% and predict, you know, that people will follow them to a T because, you know, we're human beings and there's emotions involved and there's, you know, kids yelling in the background or there's life that gets in the way and things just don't always happen the way that we expect. So by creating these simulations, we're trying to see how something is lives out in the wild and what things might come up that are unexpected and may cause us to think about, you know, the interaction or the service or the product in a new way. As we were thinking about the subject of this podcast, one of the things that kind of struck me is we talk about design research and I feel like design and designers tend to want to be purists. 
you know, they want to be influenced by, you know, design in the past, uh, whether or not that's graphic design or, you know, interaction design or whatever that that might be. And then research is kind of the purest of the pure, you know, a lot of people want to do this unbiased and exacting calculated research. And when those two things come together, what I find in the research that, you know, we've done in the past is that it's not clean and it's not exact and we have to bring in elements of theater and it doesn't look like the classic, you know, surveys and interviewer asks a question, interviewee answers a question, you know, this kind of back and forth, because we're looking at those experiences. And as you're saying, those experiences are oftentimes unscripted. We have to kind of set up a environment where that research can happen in as close to real life for that individual as possible. I thought that those two things coming together really struck me as a as an interesting kind of dichotomy because they both are these purist um, professions or, or silos. And then when they came together, for us at least, we've been kind of messing them around and moving things around, which for us I think is fun. It's like peanut butter and my chocolate. Yeah, or as Pete used to eat when he was a kid, it's peanut butter and mayonnaise. Oh, gross. <laughs> so Disgusting. Gross. He yes. says that he thinks it's a joke that his brothers played on him, and then he actually ended up liking uh, it. I feel nauseous right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to erase that right now. I gotta get, I'm going to change the subject <laughs> and erase mayonnaise and chocolate out of my mind. Mayonnaise um, and peanut butter. <laughs> oh, mayonnaise and peanut butter. Even yeah. worse. Oh. So on that note, I mean, I think it's it, it it always strikes me as as we think we know a lot about human beings. We don't really know how people are going to respond and how they're going to act. And I think that, you know, if we can figure out how to do research that supports a better understanding of people and their needs and their behaviors, um, we can design products that people are actually going to use and not going to feel like are second-guessing them or adding more noise to their their situation yeah and on that human note I just always want to remind people this is just classic right everybody has secret behaviors that they do and the best is in the 2018 U.S. Open where the woman who got caught on the jumbotron dipping her nachos into coca-cola oh like, these are secret behaviors that we do that we would never tell people oh. that we do. Um, and I just, I think that that is, um, you know, we might not ever get to that obviously because, you know, some people should keep things to themselves, <laughs> but I do think that, you know, we try to get to that as much as possible and we shouldn't be afraid as designers and as researchers to get messy like that and to really literally um, get, get messy, get messy and get experimental and be able to push our ways of thinking to say, well, you know, I know that co-creation or prototyping research or whatever is done this way, but you know, that's not going to match this environment or that's not going to match the situation that we ultimately believe that this user is going to be in. Right. So let's let's do it a little bit differently and let's try to do it as closely as possible. I, I would say, though, that I don't want to underestimate the rigor that goes into this 
research too. It's not that we're just going to go out there and just be like loosey-goosey about it. It's important to design your study and design what you're going to do and set people up in the right way and, you know, make your scenarios and make your environments thoughtfully. So there's design that goes into that. So it's not that we're just going to go wild west into doing this type of research, but we do need to put some rigor to it and write about it and talk about it and and improve upon it. It's rigorously experimental. I like that. Rigorously yeah. experimental. Just like dipping your food into different gross foods. Disgusting. Peanut butter and mayonnaise. <sighs> nachos and Coca-Cola. These are the things that we do with our lives. What happened to just peanut butter and chocolate? Is that just not good enough anymore? It's just too much sweet on sweet. Just one last thing. I think our experiment of doing this simulation of being in the studio was pretty successful yeah i think it's good although i do miss seeing your face yeah actually i take that back i i (laughs) I don't get used to this because i don't think it's sustainable i love it i get to just sit here and um you know be in my pajamas okay now this is uh i can't this gotta stop i can't show up to figure eight my pajamas (laughs) make fun of me all right Stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, We are going to continue our conversation from season two about design and healthcare. And uh, it's going to be a good one because, uh, you know, season two's episode of design and healthcare, if you haven't listened to it, is one of our most popular episodes. So we wanted to revisit it in season three. If you haven't heard, it's the one with Katie McCurdy and it's riveting. Just just riveting. <laughs> uh, you know, the way that you can listen to that is if you subscribe to Yeah No. Right. Um, so please consider subscribing and leave a review for us. You can reach us on the web at Yeah No Podcast and on Instagram. And this episode was recorded in Brooklyn and Garrison. Um, we're at Figure Eight Studios in Brooklyn with Michael P. Coleman and Tori Flack, who also produced and edited this episode. All right. See you guys. Talk to you next time. I just want to let you know I'm sitting in your chair. Why? I, I just wanted to see what it was like being you.